This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, here we are. Welcome back. Um, this is part two of our conversation about slash fiction. Um, last episode, you heard us talking a lot about Kirk and Spock, the like er slash couple. And now we're going to talk about Garrick and Bashir, kind of to get a notion of like what was going on these 30 years later from yeah. the perspective of the Kirk and Spock situation, 30, 30, 20, depending on where you're counting from. Yeah. So I'm excited. I, I'm excited too, Becca. I don't even know where to start. Uh, I'm part of a Facebook group called Garrick is Love, Garrick is Life, Garrick is Queer. So that's something that just exists. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everyone yeah, well, go flood that group right now. <laughs> go, go, go. Tyana will be so excited. Um, yeah, so before we get too far into our discussion, we'll do a lower su- summary of the episodes that we watched, like really brief ones. Once again, we watched Past Prologue, Season 1, Episode 3, uh, that aired in January 1993. Uh, Dr. Bashir is excited to meet Garrick, the last Cardassian aboard Deep Space Nine, and a rumored spy. Then we watched The Wire, episode two, uh, 22 of season 2, May 1994. While having his weekly lunch with Bashir, Garrick is suddenly overcome with extreme pain. Uh, then Improbable Cause, season 3, episode 20, aired in April 1995. A peaceful afternoon is shattered when Garrick's shop is destroyed by an explosion. Uh, and then finally, uh, our, our Man Bashir, which is season four, episode 10 or nine on Netflix, uh, aired in November 1995. Bashir is enjoying a holodeck program that casts him as a super suave 1960s Earth secret agent when Garrick intrudes on his fantasy. All right, so yeah, let's get into it. Uh, Garrick and Bashir, they're in love. Yeah, I, th- I think I think they are, or there's at least some queer sexual tension, like will they or won't they? Like Bashir's walking around all the time being like, is this just in my head? Is he into me? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he was hitting on me. Wait, maybe I just imagined it. Is he hitting <laughs> on me? Like, that's at least going on for part of the series. <laughs> Um, yeah, so in their very first meeting in past in the past prologue, um, Garrick is like, oh, you must be Dr. Bashir. How, how lovely to meet you. You oh know, co- come yeah. to my shop later for a fitting. It goes on for like two minutes. Bashir is squirming. He's like flitting his hands he's, out. He's like looking around like, is anyone else seeing this? Did he just <laughs> touch me? Like, I... He does not know what to do. He no. can't handle it. He's so flustered. It's ridiculous. In one one part of the scene, which you should absolutely watch, he like flicks this piece of plant that's in his face. And it's, just <laughs> like, uh, it's just like every ingenue who doesn't know what to do when she's receiving the like the man's attention. And he's so adorable. Like, I'm, of course, Garrick's going to be into him. Why not? He's yes. a cute little twink, basically. Oh, my God. He's like not even 30 yet. And like... <laughs> Uh, Garrick is like this wizened, seasoned old spy, mm-hmm. and he's like fresh blood on the station. Doctor, you're not intimating that I'm some sort of spy, are you? I wouldn't know, sir. Ah, an open mind, the essence of intellect. As you may also know, I have a clothing shop nearby, so if you should require any apparel or simply wish, as I do, for a bit of enjoyable company now and then. I'm at your disposal, Doctor. 
You're very kind, Mr. Garrick. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Now, good day to you, Doctor. I'm so glad to have made such an interesting new friend today. And at that point, he touched him. He has both of his hands on his shoulders as he gets up to leave the table. Yeah. Yeah, so when we when we were looking into this, one of the interesting things that you found, Ryan, is that um, the actor who plays Garrick originally conceived of this character as being, like, pansexual. Yeah, so you can really sense it. And apparently... Yeah, I mean, he's talked about it a lot at uh, conventions, um, how he was asked to tone it down later, but he was always like, he read the scene and he's like, okay, how am I going to play this? I'm a spy. Like, is there anything else going on? Wouldn't it be way more interesting if he was just like really into him. Um, and, uh, on the, the recent Deep Space Nine documentary that came out, he just straight out, they, they were like, what did he want when he first met Bashir? And he's like, he wanted to have sex with him. Of that, we are absolutely clear. <laughs> so, Andrew Robinson was, was shipping this couple from, from day one. Love it. I just Googled Garrick and Bashir art. Do you want to describe some of what you're seeing? Oh my God. Wow. There's a lot of this. Oh, they're they're touching nose to nose while they're at their lunch table. Clearly, we are not the only people on the internet who are observing this. But yeah, do do yourself a favor. Do yourself a Google and uh, look look up some of this fan art because it's it's wonderful. I do want to say though that this this is controversial. It's still controversial. So the the Facebook group that I alluded to before, which I found through the Star Trek shitposting Facebook group, um, which is another thing that you should look up or or not, or spare yourself this minor obsession of mine. Um, it's called uh, Garrick is Love, Garrick is Life, Garrick is Queer. Apparently, it used to just be called Garrick is Love, Garrick is Life. Hmm. And then uh, people were, like, debating whether or not Garrick was queer. So they add Garrick is queer. They added a, a screener question. If you were going to debate his sexuality, you could not join the group. There's now a splinter group called just Garrick is love, Garrick is life for the less liberal Garrick fans who don't want to hear so much about the gay shit. Um <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and a few people from the first group have joined the second group in order to spy on them and report back the silly things that they say. And then there's a third group called Garrick is Love, Garrick is Life 3 that is was made to make fun of the Splinter group. <laughs> and um, I should really get a job. Wow. Well, thank you, Ryan, for doing all of that <laughs> fandom watching so that I don't have to because yes. I'm like... Um, I'd love to know that it's going on. I think it's interesting to see what the fandom is doing because, you know, we are also in the fandom and we're doing things and and we want to, um, we want to recognize that Star Trek fans are on the whole, like, pretty great. Like, one of the big reasons that I wanted to make this show and just generally spread the beautiful word that is our gay space communist utopia, thank you Gene Roddenberry, uh, is that I feel like a lot of my like moral and ethical framework comes straight out of Star Trek. And so when we're when we're talking about stuff like whether or not there are gay relationships in Star Trek, it's meaningful because people, yes. you, know, you know, it's meaningful to people. Um, one of my favorite, favorite podcasts is called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Um, which you should definitely listen to. They cite Harry Potter, the series, as a sacred text. Um, and they give some, like, examples of what makes a text sacred in the way that, like, the Bible or the Torah are sacred. Um, that they are generative, Mm. as in they have generated, um, other content that people have produced through the ages. And so, like... This slash fiction example is a really strong pointing to um, Star Trek as a sacred text in a way uh, because so because it has generated so much you know non-canon content yeah um, that people are are imagining either being themselves in this universe or that the characters are you know continuing to live their lives outside of what we see on screen mm-hmm. yeah 
I'm like, listen to that podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Um, yeah. Also, Star Trek is life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I mean, I think this is like very clear, like from, from the conventions, from um, the outfits that people design, uh, from people learning the language, from people being devoted to either the the Klingon or Vulcan uh, religions as part of their their lifestyle and personal ethos. Yeah. And it's it's really important that people can see themselves in that universe, in this universe that is very diverse and liberal and inclusive, and we did not have canonical textual gay characters until about a year ago. So Absolutely. Representation matters. Representation matters. People need to see themselves in order to kind of imagine what their lives could be like. And like, obviously this is a fictional universe set in the future where there are aliens, but they also like mostly look human for some reason. But it's also one of the powers of science fiction is to take things that are happening in culture and put them in a different context so that they can explore them with that with some distance that makes it almost easier to address them directly than it does if you're just talking like something that's happening in in the culture today mm-hmm. um so yeah so back to garrick and bashir they're they're flirting or at least garrick is like super duper hitting on bashir in this episode yes. yeah yeah, and, and Bashir is intrigued. He immediately runs off to tell all his Starfleet friends about it who are a bit overwhelmed and perplexed by his enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Underwhelmed. They're just They're like... underwhelmed. He's, he, like, runs into the command center and he's like, Do you know who just talked to me? This guy. Isn't he a spy? And everybody is like, whatever, dude. Um, In the meantime, this friendship, like, later saves the day. Mm-hmm. What happens is the Duras sisters, the Kling, Kling, two Klingon sisters who have been, um, like, exiled from the Klingon government for trying to overthrow whoever is currently in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, like, on the lam, part of the black market. Um, they're trying to do a deal with a member of the Bajoran resistance to the ultimate goal of collapsing the wormhole. Um, So it is. Which would be bad. It was really high stakes. Um, And one of the ways that they uh, foil this plot, they being the DS9 crew, is because Garrick invites Bashir to like listen in on his conversation with the Duras sisters because he kind of set them up to participate in some other kind of black market dealing. Trading on his reputation as a former spy, a member of the Obsidian Order, which is like the FBI or the NSA of the Cardassians. And Bashir is then able to take this information to Cisco and the rest of the crew. Yeah, they weren't going to solve this. And this is like totally initiated by Garrick. He's like, you need to show up for that suit fitting tonight Mm -hmm. at this time. And he's like, what? He's like, no, you need to show up. Um, like this episode does a lot of things, uh, like establishes their friendship and their flirtation. It definitely establishes Garrick as queer and, uh, possibly Bashir is bi-curious. Mm. We see him hit on a lot of women in season one unsuccessfully, so no one would walk away thinking he's gay, but he's not turned off by this. He's, mm-hmm. his interest is piqued. Uh, oh yeah, no, and it establishes Garrick as a good guy, mm. as a guy who we're sympathetic to as the audience. We expect him to be on the side of our heroes, um, which doesn't turn out to always be true. I think his characterization is playing both ends, or he's like, what is the strategy here that's going to serve me best? Mm-hmm. Garrick, in improbable cause... Garrick's shop is gets exploded and this is this is like a two-part episode at the beginning of the first episode improbable cause there's like a significant amount of Garrick Bashir interaction but then about halfway through the first episode and definitely like for basically all of the second episode Garrick along with Odo is um on a Romulan ship that's being captained by a Nabrintain, who's Garrick's old mentor, the head of the Obsidian Order. 
and he's like ends up torturing Odo. So he's mm-hmm. not always a good guy, um, but he also saves Odo's life. I think that in that situation, he recognizes that the only way to stay alive is to play along. Right. And I think that he's probably done that a lot in his life. Yeah, he's definitely a morally ambiguous character and a survivor. Um, I mean, anyone who would be the only person of his species on a station all by himself marooned, in a sense. Exiled. Exiled. Yeah, he's exiled. Yeah. But he could he could have chosen any other place in the galaxy to go that maybe had some other Cardassians. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, this is someone who's a survivor. Absolutely, who can, can like make the best of a situation. Yeah. So lore and actor confirmation also has it that um, somewhere toward the end of season one or in season two, the producers uh, told Andrew Robinson to tone it down. <laughs> To tone down the gayness and the subtext, and probably also the writers and their writing. And so then we get a lot of episodes where they're just kind of interacting as friends and colleagues and, like, trying to feel each other out. Mm-hmm. But, like, it doesn't even matter because you already saw that scene, so mm-hmm. you're just reading into it. So, like, where when I was going through this rewatch, looking for more evidence, I didn't really find any at mm. some point like I was just like uh well okay maybe this or mm-hmm. maybe that in each episode and I realized that all of what I'd been watching before had just been really heavily colored by that first episode but also not imagined by the fans because it was intentional from the actor um they were told to stop which is you know definitely proof mm-hmm. and um and then recently in the ds9 documentary the showrunner ira bear um was regretful of of this or of his part in this he said i wish we could have done a bit more with the gara character i mean he was clearly gay or queer or however you want to say it i think i w- would have loved to have taken that to see where that went and how it affected his relationship with Bashir. From a 2019 point of view, it seems like, oh yeah, they totally could have done that. It would have been easy, no problem. But from like a 19 mid-1990s point of view, it was a lot more risky. Yeah. Um, from like a viewership standpoint, probably once again from a like network executive standpoint, and so the actor, ultimately the actor is told to tone it down at least. Um, but they, but I feel like they keep flirting. Like they, they continue their friendship after this initial meeting where mm-hmm. they like, you know, um, partner up to save the wormhole, save the day. Yeah. So what were um, other instances of flirting that you saw? Yeah. So they so they have like, they have a weekly lunch together. They're, yes. they're having like philosophical debates one of the things that Bashir gets out of it is intellectual stimulation Mm -hmm. and I think Garrick does as well they amiably argue about um what is better Cardassian literature or Earther literature Garrick is totally underwhelmed by um Shakespeare and Bashir is totally befuddled by like the most uh renowned Cardassian literature. Cardassian mysteries aren't interesting. The guilty parties are always guilty. But the trick is, who is guilty of what? Right. Um, So it's just like a little bit of a cultural interchange, which I think is really cute. They they keep reading these works of fiction or nonfiction that the other one has recommended, even though they've decided that they both don't like it. And so like, why else would you do that except for to have something to talk about? Because you like to share somebody's company. I, some other examples that I, that I found in these episodes that we watched, The Wire, in, in that, um, Garrick starts avoiding Bashir, uh, and Bashir gets really sad. He's like, well, I need somebody to eat lunch with. Yeah. Um, and then, like, in, in this episode... new boyfriend, Miles. <laughs> um, yeah, Miles, Miles has this line in this episode, which is like, my mother says that if you talk while you're eating, you're not doing either well. 
deep insight into why Miles's marriage sucks. Oh man, we need to talk about Keiko. Um, anyway, so in in this episode in The Wire, Garrick is experiencing extreme pain, and it's revealed that it's because he has this implant in his brain that turns pain into pleasure, and that it was implanted when he was a member of the Obsidian Order. Um, in order to be able to withstand interrogation, torture. He, at some point while living on Deep Space Nine, just turned it on permanently. Um, apparently, Cardassians like, want it to be hotter than humans do, and darker, and something about smells, and blah blah blah. And so he's like, he's cranky, and he, he sort of loses it. Then he's also, you know, not very fulfilled in his life's purpose. He has sort of an existential issue with being a tailor when he used to be a high-intrigue spy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned that he's basically been high for the first two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's also confessing all of this to Bashir. He does not confess anything about any of this to anybody else. Um, and he's not going to him for medical treatment. He, in fact, refuses to go to sickbay. The fact that Bashir is a doctor is sort of incidental to this confession. Mm-hmm. They have bonded to the point where Garrick will tell Bashir about his experiences as a spy in the Obsidian Order, but to everybody else, he's, oh, no, I was never that. I could never have been that. Who's a spy? Who, me? Um, You're letting your imagination run away with you. Right, don't listen to the good doctor. He's on his flights of fancy. (laughs) And it's like, okay, well, so they have have a deep intimacy. Um, What is this? What is this horrification? <laughs> One of the notes that I wrote on this episode, which is not super related, um, but is an intertraction. In the course of events, Quark calls up a member of a black market kind of situation who's a Cardassian who he believes um, used to be part of the Obsidian Order and tries to procure a version of the chip and it's um, right. and it's user manual in order to help save Garrick's life, which he he fails to do because like nobody fucking messes with the Obsidian Order, not even this particular Cardassian. Um, but what I wrote in this note is that they they begin this conversation with some banter about the Davo girl, and they and they're just like chuckling about how like sexy she is and the cork's like hey maybe you come back and you can you can see her you can spend some time with her oh, uh, yeah. isn't she beautiful and well, so basically he's whoring her out yeah um, no, and i think that i think cork actually like literally does that so like the davo girls they're basically like girls who work at poker tables except it's davo tables mm-hmm. and uh I think there's another episode where somebody comes to Commander Sisko and, like, files a sexual harassment complaint against Quark um, for, like, saying that, you know, Umox was, like, part of her contractual duties to him as mm. an employer. Like, he is super sexist and problematic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Creating a hostile work environment for basically all of his female staff. What I think is important about this scene is that they use that banter, objectification and horrification of this particular female character as a means of bonding yes. or like reinforcing their camaraderie yes. before getting into the like actual content of the deal that they're trying yeah. to make. And I just want to complicate this a little bit by saying, okay, um, at this point, uh, Cardassians are bad in mm-hmm. the viewer's mind. Uh, so are Ferengi. So this isn't coming out of the mouths of particularly adored characters. Um, and I also, I, I kind of want to, I've been wanting to say this for a while on our podcast and I don't know if we have, but just in being critical of these things, it, we're not really, I, I'm not bashing it. Mm. You oh, know? Yeah. Like I love this so much and I think it's important to, to notice these things and to talk about them and to recognize them, but this, um, doesn't at all take away my love of this particular episode. And this is a real thing that men do in the business world and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't do it in the 24th century especially among you know sexist cultures and disreputable people who are already doing underhanded black market dealings um yeah no it certainly fits in with their characterization um but i think it is important to call out because 
it's so casually done. Yes. And it happens in a lot of places, like male bonding around the objectification of women Mm -hmm. um, is like detrimental to our ultimate goal of gender equality, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and it, it's detrimental to, to everyone, really. I remember um, I, I had an ex who had a hard time making friends at his law school at one point because all of the men he was meeting wanted to bond over objectifying, like, the undergrads that they'd see around campus, and he didn't feel comfortable participating in it. Mm. Mm. Um, so, so then your options are, like, don't have friends or get on board. Right. My my one other note on this episode is that this inter this interchange between Cork and this Cardassian is observed by Odo. Odo has set up like a spy apparatus that just records Cork all the time. Oh, um, yeah. And it's it's most likely that he's doing this to other people on the station. Yeah, he's no. such a big brother fascist. Odo is a fascist. Odo is a cop. Odo sucks. I don't like him. This is not me. I'm not being, this is not me being critical of something I love. I don't like Odo. I feel like he does not get called out enough within the text itself. Yeah. He's a collaborator. Everyone just lets that slide. Like his only possible excuse is that he's like maybe 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, It's, it's sort good. of glossed over in the show because he's always on the side of the rest of the team, right? Yeah. So it's to the to the good, so then it's yeah. fine. To the extent that he gets called out, nobody ever actually tries to, to stop him from doing this or mm-hmm. to fully shut it down, except for Quark, and that's because Quark is a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, no. So um, as Odo is observing Quark in this interchange, Garrick is there too, and he says, so Odo, do you have, are you monitoring me as well? And Odo's like, should I be? <laughs> Right, yeah. So Which that's is not a yes or a no. no. Uh, <laughs> police surveillance. Yeah. It's ever more real every day that we exist in this world. Um, but yeah, back to Garrick and Bashir flirting. Um, in, in this episode, Improbable Cause, um, Garrick's shop is is destroyed by an explosion, but... Before that, he and Bashir are at their, like, standard weekly lunch, and they're having, like, a good-natured argument about some literature or something. Um, And then Garrick's complaining about how his life is so slow, and he doesn't have anything really going on. And, um, And then next scene, he's, like, under some beams in his destroyed and in flames shop. Um, And Bashir is the one who rushes in into the like flaming shop Mm -hmm. um, in his presumably polyester uniform, which like, (laughs) don't don't do that. But if you're going to run into a burning building, have it be like cotton. It's future space (laughs) material, Becca. Future space material. Flame retarded. Right. Anyway, um, just a quick fire safety aside. Nonetheless, um, he like pulls this, he pulls Garrick out from under what's fallen on him and gets him to sick bay. Um, you know, they're in saving his life. And then yeah, later... Yeah, it's hard for things not to be romantic when you're saving someone's life all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's also part of his duty as a doctor, but I question if he would have run into that shop if it had been somebody you didn't know right Right. yeah yeah i mean the only other character i really feel like i've seen him do this for off the top of my head is dax who he is also in love with Mm -hmm. or obsessed with which also to me always kind of read as because dax is just way out of his league and signals at every turn that she is not interested in him his obsession with dax always seemed like someone trying to cover like oh no uh like like rosie o'donnell constantly talking about tom cruise for instance Mm. when he was like clearly out of her league and also gay yeah oh dax's (laughs) dax's bashir's beard yeah like she's his like crush beard yeah (laughs) yeah it's like no i'm not i'm not gay i'm in love with dax it's not my fault she doesn't love me back I mean, you could also um, also add into this that Dax has lived a very long time 
and as multiple genders. Right. I don't think that she specifically qualifies as cis No, yeah. I mean, she's definitely, within the fandom at this point, a trans icon, which... I don't, it's not a great metaphor, uh, considering that she has a worm living in her stomach that is her brain. But, you know, uh, yeah, she, she's, she's not a cisgendered woman. So there's Bashir, like, maybe trying to cover up his queer leanings. But again, in this episode, after Derek is, like, healed and after it's revealed that the other members of the Obsidian Order who were approximately at Garrick's rank have all been killed very recently. He goes immediately to find an Tain, his old mentor. You know, winds up getting embroiled in a plot that kicks off war with the Dominion. We're not really going to get into that today. But as Garrick is leaving in the loading bay, Bashir is the one who bids him farewell. Like, if I don't return... There's a thing in my quarters that I need you to find. It's hidden. And then eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And Bashir is like, wait, what? You want me to do what now? And he's like, oh, I'm just giving, I'm just, I'm just teasing you. Um, So yeah. So then Bashir, like later he misses having Derek at lunch. Um, And so. Oh, and then next is our man Bashir, which is possibly my favorite of all these episodes just because I have a deep deep love of uh James Bond for for some reason I don't know because I'm a self-hating feminist I guess I have a deep deep love of James Bond and so I I love that they're sort of paying this weird tribute to James Bond the conceit is this is what Bashir does in his spare time he runs this program he's like Bashir Julian Bashir. <laughs> and he's like about to make out with this like hollow program lady and Garrick like busts in and cock blocks him. Her name is Mona Loves It. <laughs> Good. Going for subtle there, Bashir. Good for you. And then it's like, oh, I'm, oh, she left. Oh, did I, was that because of me? Oh, I'm sorry. You should call her back. And he's just like giving him dagger eyes. Mm -hmm. And it very much to me feels like his boyfriend walked in and like caught him masturbating. Yes. (laughs) And is like, I don't approve of this activity. Why aren't you spending time with me instead? I know I'll do the program with you. Then we can spend time together. And like Bashir begrudgingly doesn't kick him out because he can't think of a good reason Mm -hmm. why he shouldn't be there. When like the reason is obviously because this is for me and not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and then and then like before he can come up with a legitimate reason that he wants Garrick to leave. Oh, by the way, Garrick also showed up like in his tuxedo. So right? he was so, he was definitely prepared to stay. Yeah. Um and so they get stuck in the holodeck because due to a transporter accident, um the like body patterns of um Cisco Dax, Kira, Kira, and, and Miles. Miles. Um, oh wait, Worf's there too. Get like, like emergency downloaded into the holodeck, and then they become the characters that um, are interacting with Bashir and now Garrick as he plays out this holodeck program, which he has to do in order to keep everybody alive. Uh, they can't pause the program. The safeties are off. And uh, so if any of them die, they will die in real life. So he has to, like, both complete the program and not kill anyone, which Mm -hmm. Garrick has just had it with. He's like, if you're a spy, you kill people. Like, who do we like the least? Let's let them die and save your favorites. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just, like, shows... It's like as much progress as we imagine uh, Garrick has made over the course of the series. He is still morally bereft Mm -hmm. um, or at least has some sort of hardened version of what it means to be a spy, which he feels um, that Bashir fundamentally misunderstands. Yeah, he's at, at kind of every turn, every decision point where Bashir could like to his own advantage seriously injure or kill somebody. He's like, why aren't why aren't you doing this? And um, I think it is, yeah, it's all motivated from the fact that he was an actual spy, also a Cardassian, and they're like 
portrayed as being more bloodthirsty than mm-hmm. than humans um, mm-hmm. at this time. And mm-hmm. so he's, yeah, he's kind of questioning every decision that Bashir makes, which I get it. He's like, my spy instincts are on overdrive right now. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. But, like, it's a holodeck program that is built for Bashir to win. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. like, it's yeah. not. And he knows more about 1960s fake spy Earth than uh, than, than Garrick does. And, and definitely more about this genre mm-hmm. than Garrick does. Um, I do, I do want to say that, uh, what's his name? Captain Sisko does... Such an amazing job as a Bond villain in this episode. It's so good. Yeah. It's it's so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. His kind of typical playing to the back seats in the theater totally fits well. He, Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks. <laughs> um, he, he Occasionally he feels like he's performing in a different troupe than everybody else. <laughs> uh, but in this episode, he totally sells this Bond villain character who is trying to bring about climate change (laughs) by pointing lasers into the earth, which is going to make eruptions all over the place and then like sink the the continents. Yeah, all of the ice caps are going to melt and the only place left standing will be Mount Everest where his base is, mm-hmm. which will now be, then become a tropical island that he can repopulate with his favorite people. I think it's interesting that this, which was filmed in 1995, is already talking about climate change oh, as yeah. a, like the thing that the evil supervillain will be trying to bring about. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Al Gore was still on Nickelodeon at the time telling <laughs> us that we could save the planet by turning off lights when our parents left the room uh so it was maybe not probably quite not as urgent as it is today <laughs> but apparently it's still not urgent enough because we're not doing enough to avert it never mind um rolling back into what we talk about on this show a couple of things that i wanted to point out kind of interactions um all of the female characters in the um the Bond analog holodeck program are like sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, Kira comes in as a Russian spy. Um, Dax is a scientist who does like a weird kind of strip tease. They do the classic like take off your glasses, take down your hair. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which it's supposed to be like a stalling tactic or is the way that he, that Bashir gets the scientist on his side right, after yes. they've been, been abandoned. Yes, to be, sexualizing like, her is the way to win her over because this is the man who's giving you his attention. Um, so you should value him more than the one who, who just wants you to be a scientist. Um, which works because he is in a spy holodeck program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would probably not work. So I feel like we've talked a lot about con- consent on our podcast and like consent of like what happens to your body. And this episode does throw a lot of hurdles at Bashir, who is still trying to not only get not get his friends killed, but um, not piss them off later when they're back in their bodies. He doesn't want to be like, I made out with you on the holodeck. And mm-hmm. the women are all throwing themselves at him. And it's a little difficult, especially with Kira, to not make out with her, um, aided by the fact that uh, Bashir is not down with it either. Mm-hmm. Or not Bashir. Um, Garrick. Garrick yeah. is not down Garrick's with it Garrick's there, either. and that's one of the ways that he avoids like getting into this romance scene with this Russian spy, which you can imagine that if it wasn't Kira's body, and if Bashir had been alone, that they would have had a tumble before he went on to do whatever it is. Yeah, no, yeah, she shows up to brief him on his mission on a rotating bed. (laughs) In, like, a silk gown, nightgown. Like a teddy. Oh, yeah. Like a knee-length teddy. Yeah, it's, it's... I want that outfit. And her, oh, my God, her Russian accent is just like, what are you doing? Um, uh, But anything else you want to say about any of these episodes? I don't know, can we, can we watch james bond next that's what i'm feeling right now let's take a break we may or may not be watching james bond on this break and we'll be right back with you 
Okay, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, we are recording this after a significantly longer break than we usually take because <laughs> I lost this segment somehow. It like disappeared. Oh, podcast honesty. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you had an interesting uh, counterpoint or concern when we first started talking about recording this double episode. Um, do you want to share that with the group? Yeah, the group. <laughs> <laughs> okay, class. So <laughs> one of the reasons that I was a little hesitant going into making this episode is that I have reservations about calling any like non-explicitly gay relationship a gay relationship is because I think it is important for there to be models of deep, loving, intimate friendships. You know, like there's a lot of power in narrative. Yeah, can I can I ask you a, a follow up question? Sure. Yeah. What what is your what is your concern here? Like, is your concern that people will look at at Kirk and Spock and be like, "Oh, they're gay. I can't be like them." Yeah, basically, that living this deeply emotionally intimate friendship is too homo and so that you like get this really restrictive notion of what masculinity is how it is okay to be a heterosexual man and i think it's really important for for that to include having like the ability to express your love and affection for the people who are in your life who are your friends not only to reserve that type of emotional display for your romantic partner or like restricting it only towards the women in your life. Like I think, you know, from the perspective Mm -hmm. of a heterosexual man, I'm speaking now, which is, you know, not my lived experience. So whatever. But, (laughs) um, but the point that I'm trying to make You're speaking in the second person. You're speaking to the men. Right. Exactly. In your life. What I'm, what I'm saying is like, it is a positive way to be, makes you more likely to um, live your life fully if you feel like you have the ability and the freedom to express your full range of emotions um, within any given relationship that you have, be it romantic, sexual, or platonic, or whatever. Yeah, no, and I think this that this is an important consideration, oh, especially if we are, as you know that we are, concerned about toxic masculinity. Yeah, one of the things that leads to toxic expressions of masculinity to men being closed off from their feelings is this idea that they can't express all of their feelings, that they can't express affection, that they can't share their feelings with men, so they end up sharing all of their feelings with their romantic partner or with their female friends. Um, That puts a lot of emotional labor onto women. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes men, like, lonely and closed Mm -hmm. off from the, the people that they care about. And actually, I just started reading William Shatner's memoir, Um, about his friendship with Leonard Nimoy. He recounts a moment that they had while recording a documentary together where he wraps his arms around him and is like, I love you. Hmm. And uh, Leonard Nimoy can't say it back. He just kind of like nods his head and is like, same. (laughs) And then he's like, you know, maybe a half hour later, he was like, you're my best friend. So he, like, finally got it out, but he had to, like, go through this whole, like, am I going to say it? The cameras are here. And it's also just, you know, a a very sweet reminder that they were close in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think that this is a very real concern. Uh, My counter for this particular discussion and uh, for the Star Trek universe is um, the people who were saying that Kirk and Spock were gay and the people saying that Garrick and Bashir are in a relationship... um, are not, it's not hurled at them as an insult. Like, the people saying this are the gay people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's queer people trying to find themselves in the show. Mm-hmm. And it's not like people are going, oh, Star Trek, don't watch that show. It's about those two space people who are in love. Like, I, I don't think that this was a mainstream perspective. Mm-hmm. And so you have to look at who's saying it and who's thinking these things. I think when when you apply that analysis, and then my other counterpoint is uh, 
that Kirk did have this very deep um, and affectionate friendship with Bones, who um, almost no one writes slash fiction about. <laughs> uh, God, I, I hope not. I mean, maybe it's out there. Let me know. Um, and and then on, on Deep Space Nine, Bashir has a very close friendship with Miles, um, which reads as entirely platonic, and Miles reads as very straight. And over the course of their friendship, you see them... Uh, you see Miles really open up and be able to become more in touch with his feelings. So there is kind of, for both of these men, um, for, for Kirk and Bashir, there's like their boyfriend and their guy friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that isn't to say that like what you're saying isn't very important. And I think especially in like the 80s when people were running around saying this, this might be why... Uh, or even the 90s for the other series, this might be why the bigwigs behind Star Trek did not want to embrace this. They were like, do not send us any fan fiction about these two men being anything other than friends. Um, Tone down the gay acting, guys, because uh, Mm. they knew what the negative reaction would be and that it would both be negative um, for the the audience and that uh, people sort of distance themselves from those displays of affection in that weird way. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're you're right that it is good for the like queer fandom to identify these men as icons because there is so little representation otherwise, especially depending on like what point in history you're looking. Um, so so little representation of queer people and queer relationships, but. I guess at the same time, the worry that I have and one of the things that I see as a trend in the period of time between when Star Trek was, Star Trek the original series was airing and today is a heavy drift towards this hyper masculinity. Um, like, like lone wolf character who doesn't even have any friends at all. I think that that is in part a reaction to portrayals like this getting labeled as queer, mm. even just even itself by queer people, because, you know, that that comes into the mainstream consciousness eventually. And then, like, depending on where you land personally in your, in your whether heart. or not that's yeah, in your heart, whether or not that's that's a positive thing. One of the, you know, one of the pitfalls of making network television is that you are often made to conform to a certain conception of what is normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And when normal does not include queerness, Mm -hmm. and when queerness is equated to demonstrating that you have a, like, emotional love for somebody who is ostensibly a platonic friend... Then you get this outcome of no friendships or like really like sure. hyper masculine friendships where they bond over beer and strip clubs and sure. Like... But I, I mean, I will say something about uh, from my perspective. Like a lot of these lone wolf characters are there just so that they can have character development. Like if you're going to have character development over several seasons, you have to start them at like rock bottom. That way in like season four, when they have like three best friends, you're like, look how far they came Mm -hmm. Um, or something. I mean, I think that's almost all of those lone wolf characters end up with sidekicks. Well, yeah, no, I see that. And I think you're right about that. But they have that starting point for a reason where it's like, we are establishing that this character is a masculine hetero man you have that proof established and then you can build from it rather yeah. than just saying that there are people who live this way and it's like... No. Oh, man. I just... I want to do, like, an extra, like, Patreon session where we just talk about, like, Jessica Jones is, like, a masculine lady because mm. she, like, hates friendship and drinks whiskey and passes out on her couch. I love her so much. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. And I think... I wanted to ask you, um, as a single heterosexual-ish lady... Um, I feel like there was another reason why this was really important to you. Why hmm. portrayals of friendship in television was really important to you. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned at some point that I identify as biromantic, which means that I have romantic relationships with some of my female friends. Um, but it's not like the only way that I engage in female friendship. I think that 
it's important, it's very important for me to be able to tell the people in my life that I love them that I love them and that that doesn't mean that I'm sexually attracted to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's this notion, especially in male friendships, that anytime you say I love you, there's right. a sexual interchange kind of inherent in the use of that word in that context. Right. Um, which, you know, maybe it's a failing of the English language for not giving us enough words to sure. s- demonstrate like different types of love. Sure. Yeah. But like making any, any male friendship that has a significant amount of love into a romantic relationship is sort of privileging romantic relationships Mm -hmm. as like the ultimate expression of love Mm -hmm. and like uh to be like these two could just really be best friends and they are each other's person and they're with each other like always Mm -hmm. uh could be like it's a it's important for people to have that example i mean now this is the end of our two-parter but it is also our Garrick and Bashir episode Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's what's going on with Garrick and Bashir just to be clear I was talking about Kirk and Spock just then yeah we're pretty much talking about Kirk and Spock in this like Garrick and Bashir are like I feel like they're sex frenemies (laughs) maybe they're like I don't trust you but I want you which is perfect because he's a spy and as we know from James Bond this is how spy relationships work yeah yeah, where Garrick, like, repeatedly is like, oh, Julian, I'm so happy that you don't trust me because you are, like, I think you might be okay in the world. Because that makes the sex hotter. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he's really thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but also, yeah, also Garrick doesn't trust anyone and thinks it's foolish to do so. Like, mm-hmm. the moment you trust someone, you left, your, you leave your guard down. And so because he cares about Julian, right? He wants to make sure Julian's protecting himself by not trusting people either. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, go have the relationships that you want to have. Yeah. However they are formed. Don't let yourself feel, like, limited in how you can express your affection for the people in your life because language is confining and this notion that it is necessary to maintain some very hard veneer of Mm. masculinity in order to, I don't know, be successful in the world or, you know, be the man that you are. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let it go. (laughs) Can I have one more counterpoint? Do we have time? We can just go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, one more counterpoint that I, I think I have is that until... Unless and until um, we're past the the barrier gaze trope, which is where a gay character will come onto a series and then just be killed off by the writers. Mm. Um, un- until we're at the point where we have a gay character in every Star Trek or every major show, and that's just normal and not quote-unquote forced diversity mm. or weekend warrior or whatever they're calling us now, snowflakes, I think. Until that's something that we can count on seeing... Uh, those of us who are queer, um, which I don't know if I've said in this particular podcast, but I am bisexual. Like those of us who want to see ourselves, will see it because we're looking for ourselves in our literature, like in our television, in our media. Mm-hmm. And if we're not given other things, we're gonna grab onto these really close homosocial friendships and be like, maybe it's there. As a fifteen-year-old secretly watching Sailor Moon after school, uh, thinking that. Two of the Sailor Scouts very much seemed like they were in love, even though the show kept saying they were cousins. And I was like, this is so weird that they're cousins because they're always hugging and touching each other and shit. They (laughs) seem like they're in love. And I don't think I was even completely out to myself at that point, but I was getting there. And it turns out they were in love in the original Japanese show, and then when they exported it to America, they were like, this is inappropriate. Let's change the dubbing so they're cousins. So I was right. Oh, man. I was right. But also, like, the the, the impulse to, to look for it mm. is still going to be there. And, like, maybe what needs to change is not 
are we over-sexualizing close friendships, but maybe what needs to change is, is somebody mistaking you and your close guy friend for being gay like such a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Why are we having such a crazy reaction over that? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is my best friend. Oh, you thought that this was my boyfriend? That's funny. We do everything together. I see why you thought that. That's not what's going on. And it's just like, no big deal. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And that's like almost why I'm saying this in the first place because of this like <laughs> kowtowing to this heteropatriarchal viewpoint of how mm -hmm. friendships should be mm -hmm. is like results in this limited portrayal of male friendships. And like I, I want people to be able to be in those kinds of relationships. Well, I see that Kirk and Spock are in love. I've been convinced. <laughs> I've done um, my job. And I see that Garrick and Bashir are flirting all the time. Yeah, they're definitely flirting, if nothing else. Um, I also want to encourage any people who are in a male friendship to feel comfortable expressing your full range of emotions yeah. in that friendship. Yeah, but like have have these role models of close male friendships um, out there and be like, this is all right because Captain Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. Power of narrative, power of role models. That's why we're here. Come and... back next season for the other ships. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all the ships. Welcome to our new segment, Subspace Transmissions Log. This week, we want to thank Len from Ohio and Athena Kay for writing reviews on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Yeah, um, friends, family, if you want a shout out from us on the podcast, leave us a review. Uh, two of you have done it so far, and like, thank you, thank you, thank you, Len and Athena. Um, the rest of you, what the hell, man? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Ryan Space says, get it together. I'm a little bit like, okay, you know, do what you can. But also, our hearts are large for Athena and Len right now. Yes. Um, we knew you two were the best all along. <laughs> um, on our Facebook group, Ian shared the story of how Denise Crosby quit TNG to pursue more fulfilling acting roles. Which was interesting to learn. Apparently, the producers already knew about her Playboy spread when she was hired. So the timing was just kind of a, a coincidence as the public became aware of it. He also wants us to know that the American soldiers in World War II routinely asked the kind of questions that Tom asked Harry in The Killing Game, since German soldiers were disguising themselves as Americans. Uh, which I think that we vaguely acknowledged, but appreciate Ian for uh, making that, like, historical fact explicitly clear thank you to everyone else who's been chiming in on the facebook group it's uh turning into a really fun community as this episode will be airing after our adventure to see the motion picture together we want to yes. thank everybody who came out to that our feelings about the episode i Literally every time I talked about the movie in our previous episode, I called it an episode, <laughs> not a movie. I know. <laughs> um, and I'm still doing that. I didn't know how to edit that. <laughs> I was like, I can't go back in time and make her say movie. <laughs> um, but we hope to have more meetups with a little bit more warning in the Bay Area in the future. So if, if you are a local, join our Facebook group and you will know about the times and places that we will be there in person and you can meet us. All right. Our coordinates are at Intertractional on Facebook and Instagram. Becca would like you to send in a voicemail or a voice recording. We will play it on air. Yeah. Don't I you want to hear your voice on our podcast? Ooh. Yeah, fancy. Send us a voice memo via email. Intertractional at gmail.com. Uh, anyway, thanks again. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Next week on Interdirectional, toxic masculinity with a side of space whales. We discuss the Next Generation episode Galaxy's Child and Voyager's Illusion. Interdirectional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka, production advice by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. 
email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference.